passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where it is actively snowing today on January 23rd, Sunday, 2022. And joining me from my immediate south, where it tends to snow more heavily in South Buffalo, the south towns, Chris Gullo, who is wearing orange and black for a very specific reason. Yeah, I guess we'll start with that here. Uh, as any WrestleNomics radio listeners has learned, I'm a big Buffalo Bills fan, season ticket holder, love the live game experience. Obviously, we have to win today, but what we needed to happen yesterday was the Cincinnati Bengals needed to beat the Tennessee Titans to have a Bills home game for the AFC Championship if they beat the Chiefs today. And while the Bengals did their part, so in honor of the Bengals, I'm wearing orange and black. I will not be doing it next Sunday. But in order for this Sunday, I will. I'm wearing a Bills tie right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm jealous of that Bills tie, to be honest with you. The Chiefs, I uh, I remember a year ago when I played Super Techno Bowl on, on Twitch in uh, tribute to the Chiefs and Bills AFC Championship game, uh, which the Bills did not win. Um, no, they did not win. So this is, what time is the game today? Six? Six thirty. Yeah. So, but before any, then, Brandon, we have a huge show for you today. Any pre-game thoughts? Uh, you want to preview? This is a rave, a football podcast. Uh, your <laughs> thoughts on how is Jake Allen going to respond to the Kansas City defense? Uh, can the Bills defense stop Patrick Mahomes and his various commercials that will play during the game? All right. Well, Josh Allen has been offensively on fire the last couple of games and uh they're the hottest team in football right now um some could argue that the rams are right behind them but they're the hottest team in football right now and uh i'm not i'm not uh you know uh giving kansas city any, any discredit they're very very good i feel though if the bills win this they will beat the Bengals next week sorry oh. sean ross app uh but uh and they will uh, they will go to the Super Bowl, and I will feel very confident. But today is a big test, and uh, but I think the Buffalo Bills will pull it out. If the Bills win today, uh, next week's show, WrestleNomics Radio, it's a program, not a show, may consist entirely of promos being cut on the Bengals and Sean Ross Sapp, perhaps Jeff Hawkins will will we will be uh, uh, verbally attacked as well. Uh, it will be uh, much, much to much to deal with in the wrestling media landscape if if it is a Bills versus Bengals conference final. But anyway, but yeah, we uh, as we move on, we have a huge show today uh, in the aspect of we're going to talk New Japan being back on Axis and kind of look at some previous history of how it performed on Axis and 
our predictions of how it will perform when it returns. We're also going to discuss uh, Monday Night Raw having preemptions as well as NXT due to the Olympics. We're also going to discuss Monday Night Raw's history when it's unopposed against football. As as uh, Monday Night Football is over with, the college championship's over with, this will be the first Monday night unopposed against football since September. And we're also going to discuss uh, your fan questions from Patreon. Yes. Our Patreon members uh, gave us some uh, great questions, which we will answer. And those of you watching on YouTube, you could also be involved with the Super Chat feature as well. Yeah. If you, if you want to put a question in and you haven't gotten it in yet, feel free to Super Chat. So, big week. I had to make a big decision this week. What color to use to put on the line chart? Because New Japan is back in the US TV landscape. Yeah, and uh, what broken down here from, of course, you, Brandon, uh, Impact and New Japan. Uh, now, this is New Japan and Impact's TV ratings in return to Axis, and New Japan nearly equals Impact in 18 and 49. Impact again post highest viewership since November. So Impact and New Japan have nearly equal audiences in 18 to 49 last night in Access, though Impact had a considerably larger total of viewership. New Japan Pro Wrestling returned to Access TV last night, airing a rerun of Kenny Omega vs. Chris Jericho match from Wrestle Kingdom 12, which previously aired in Access in January 2018. It was watched by 88,000 viewers, including 37,000 age 18 to 49 for a 0.03 18 to 49 rating. New Japan airing in its new time slot from 10 to 11 on Thursdays had a lead in from Impact Wrestling at its normal 8 to 10 slot. Impact Wrestling was watched by 126,000 viewers on average, including 38,000 for a 0.003 and 18 to 49. This was Impact's t- highest total viewership since November 18th, even better than last week, which was the highest since November. Yes. So this is a rerun, as, as you mentioned. This is a, an episode that was not only a couple years old, but had already aired on Access in the original run. Um, but I think this is a pretty good number f- considering it's airing at 10. Although did have a wrestling lead in uh, impact has been doing better lately. Um, why? I don't know. Maybe it's the, the ring of honor uh, interaction that's happening. That's happening. Right. Um, yeah. Jonathan Gresham and others have been involved on impact television. Oh, Charlie Haas has been appearing lately. Right. Yes. Um, so this, this total viewership for new Japan was in line at 10 with some of the, the total viewership numbers that Impact has been posting lately from 8 to 10. Although, as mentioned, this week Impact did again do its best rating since November, topping what it did the week before, which was also sort of a, a milestone of the best rating it had done since November last week as well. So re- Impact ratings on a three-week run of considerable improvement. Um and uh, but the demo, the demo was basically equal. And as I always mention, when we're, we're talking about impact, we're talking about a, a, a show that has about 100,000 viewers total. So the demo is even smaller. So we're we're dealing with a lot of volatility and which which you can really see pronounced when we look in the uh, the smaller subset demos, uh, because, of course, Nielsen ratings are 
an extrapolation of a sample. So the, when the sample is really small from week to week, we see a lot of what I call artificial volatility in the numbers. So we will probably see some, we are probably seeing some artificial volatility in, in the 18 to 49 because it is a smaller sample and a smaller population, uh, even than the total viewership is. Uh, nonetheless, the 18 to 49 for New Japan at 10, which is a disadvantage being later in the night at 10, basically equal to impact at 8 to 10. And we saw, and maybe, again, maybe this is artificially uh, skewed. We'll see what happens in the weeks to come. When we get more and more data points, it'll become harder to, to dismiss uh, if, if it continues. Uh, but the median age was way lower. Um, impact, in fact, I don't think I have a median age thing here, but if I bring up the uh, the median age chart from the viewership spreadsheet that, that patrons have access to, um, if we look at the median age chart, and I pull it into view for people who are looking at, uh, at YouTube here, the median age for New Japan, its first episode back on access this week, 49 years old, 49 years old sounds like an old person, but, but that's actually, that's, that's in the AEW territory, uh, as opposed to what WWE does or even what impact does, which is even older. So impact was, was younger than usual this week. 56 was its median age. So that's at the raw or SmackDown level, but new Japan was at 49 at the, what you might call the, the AEW level. So we'll see if that continues. I can expect to be getting this data continuously in the weeks to come. So we'll see if that holds up. The older data that I got for the last few airings of New Japan on Access in 2019. So if people don't know, New Japan was on Access from 2015, the beginning of 2015 to the end of 2019. That 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 coincides with the time when uh, Anthem acquired the Access TV network. And Anthem is also the parent company of Impact and decided that uh, either New Japan, you can start up a working relationship with Impact or we're going to kick you off of the network uh, because we're putting Impact on there. Uh, and New Japan didn't at least immediately want to get, get involved in a working relationship with Impact, so they were kicked off the network. There may be more to the story, but that's my understanding of it. Um, and Access TV was not a Nielsen subscriber, so they were not being tracked by Nielsen until those last few weeks. That those that basically the month of December, the latter part of the month of December, twenty nineteen. So we have, uh, which I reported to this weekend uh, on the WrestleMax Patreon, looking at what those last few weeks did with the Nielsen data that we actually do have, and um, is that do we have do we have slides ready for that? We do. Um, and it, the median age was, was older. It was sort of in the impact range. The median age was in the, in the low 60s, 63 years old, 62 years old. We had one, one instance uh, where it was 65 plus, which basically the median age in Nielsen data just sort of tops out at 65 plus. They don't go above that. Uh, they don't get into septuagenarian, septuagenarian status. Um, but the total viewership was higher. It was amount. Now remember, this is in 2019 when I think further back in time, the further back in time you get, the more subscribers you probably have. I'm not sure what the trends are for Access TV in particular, but just the nature of cord cutting and the lack of 
competition for entertainment time, the further back in time you go, I think even going back to 2019, the, the, the more advantageous it is. But the total viewership for these original episodes, I should say in either the, in the original run at the very end of the original run was about a hundred thousand viewers. Um, the last first run episodes were these three hour blocks of the G1 climax in the last, uh, two weeks of, of first run on December 7th, December 14th, 2019. It did about a hundred thousand viewers, uh, a much older audience than, than the audience that they posted this past week. The demo was in a point zero two. So basically they did about what impact is doing now at the end of the access run in, in 2019. Uh, there's some other takeaways here, but we have something. Yeah. I was just going to say too. And then with, we got to kind of look at, you know, when they were, you know, these December, 2019, these were on Saturdays and I believe the lead in or the lead out. Oh, these were on Saturdays and the lead in yep. the lead out was, I think, uh, was wow. Okay. You know, not, not following impact. So like on a Thursday, so that could be, you know, doing these type of numbers on a Saturday night, you know, one would say have kind of fresher program. Cause we're not going to get super fresh, but fresher programming, you know, it should perform. I mean, it could outperform impact even at 10 o'clock. Yeah. The other thing that stands out here is the male and female split. The male and female split for this episode and, and, and for the examples of the, of the end of the 2019 episodes, this is a more female audience than impact is impact. It measures again, we're looking at a sample and it's, it's a, it's a pretty small sample, but even if you take the average for 2021, which we can look at in the spreadsheet, um, if we take the average for 2021 for impact, it's, they averaged 80% male. 20% female for the entirety of 2021. That's a full year of examples there. Uh, this averaged uh, this, this episode for New Japan on this past Thursday uh, did, let me double check to make sure it averaged, you know, it did, no, I shouldn't say average. It did 70, 30 male, female, 70, 30. So that's more comparable to what AEW does. Uh, AEW does about 70, 30 male, female split. Uh, this is just within the 1849 demo. Uh, it might be slightly different if we looked at the total lines, which I don't have the data for. Um, but these older episodes from 2019 did more like a 60, 40 split, which is more along the lines of what Ron Smackdown do. Uh, this, this aligns with, you know, what, what I perceive to be the new Japan audience in that, you know, new Japan, uh, appeals more to women than maybe some other wrestling products do. Uh, and, you know, maybe more so than, than impact does impact is, was, is it, would it be accurate to say if we looked at that, um, the male female percentage uh, that impact has the most male audience by portion. Um, yeah. As, as far as the data that we do have for the one, two, three, four, five, six programs, uh, in 2021, Impact had the highest percentage of male audience. So for what that's worth, does that mean something to advertisers? I, I'm not sure, but it tells you something about the, the fan base. I think that, you know, it, this, is a, this is a fan base that, that is more female. New Japan is. Could, could change if, if maybe in the weeks to come that, that trend differs but that's what it looks like so far based on this Thursday and based on the final 2019 episodes. 
All right. And by the way, any, any, oh, go ahead. I think I was, I was saying see if, there any more thoughts. So yeah. Okay. Well, I, see, I think I was saying at the beginning, I had a big decision to make. I had to choose the color, the new color, to give to New Japan. Often I choose orange with New Japan because the logo is kind of, well, it's yellow and red, I guess. But we already had Rampage occupying orange. I had to make the big decision to uh, give or, give a new color to Rampage, and I went with orange because they get they kind of use orange in the Rampage uh, graphics. But I went with light blue, kind of greenish blue, which kind of reflects the um, the canvas, and it will be different enough from the other colors. So I know I know some people were really looking forward to to what I was going to do there with the colors on the chart. So you can look forward to the to light blue dots. It's only a dot right now. It'll be a line next week. Um, but again, if people don't, to catch everybody up, if you don't know, these are rerun episodes through February, March. First run, new content begins at 10 o'clock uh, on Access for New Japan. And we'll see, is, there, is, is this a peak of people tuning in because wow, the new Japan's back. Let me check it out. And then that'll, that'll decline from there. I don't know. Is, is the Jericho and Omega match a, a peak in interest that might decline because those are two, two wrestlers who are big stars for AEW. Maybe, maybe that's a factor. I, I don't know. I, I tend to think we're going to see a similar number though next week. And maybe we'll see, I don't know. It depends on what the, the first episodes are in March that are new content. Um, we'll see if new content matters at all but I think it'll matter a bit. And also too, just, you know, this partnership between them and impact um, will probably benefit them, uh, you know, as a lead in because uh, more and more new Japan talent has been kind of integrated in the programming. The bullet club is becoming a larger presence again in impact wrestling. So, and you know, um, that, that continues further uh, as the weeks will go. Yeah. It, it brings to mind, you know, new, new Japan, often likes to have this uh, exclusive relationship with one wrestling company in a region, whether that's CMLL in Mexico. And that's been a number of promotions throughout its long history in the U.S., whether that was WWWF in the, in the 70s um, and 80s, um, WCW in the 90s. Uh did they have anybody in the, in the two thousands? I don't, I don't TNA for a little bit. Sure. TNA in the two thousands. Uh, and then that fell apart. You know, when they had uh, you know, Okada driving a limo and things of that nature, um, being the green hornet. <laughs> right. I wonder why that didn't work out. Uh, and then ring of honor memorably in, yeah. in the 2010s, uh, maybe starting some sort of relationship with AW here, but, Maybe we're sort of entering a, a uh, an era where they're, they'll have maybe sort of multiple relationships. I mean, it, it's not even clear to me you know, what what's the deal with with them and Ring of Honor. I mean, Ring of Honor's own status is in question. I know they did announce uh, an event for for April, right? Um, but yeah, maybe New Japan just has you know a, a multiple relationships with the uh, U.S. companies. That's probably the best thing for them in terms of appealing to a U.S. audience and in terms of this situation that they have here with their U.S. TV partner, uh, because their U.S. TV partner uh, owns Impact. So, you know, we'll see how that plays out going forward. Um, yeah, to that point, I agree with you. I think 
it, I mean, if they value the New Japan strong brand a lot, then continuing those relationships will help that. On New Japan strong, you see talent from Impact, AEW, MLW. And you saw Ring of Honor talent, too, before Ring of Honor, uh, um, you know, is on its hiatus. So you saw literally every major promotion other than WWE have talent on New Japan strong. Yeah, and I think it's it's worth discussing, too. Does New Japan strong content end up on access in any form? Would it be, in in some cases, would it be a good a good idea, say, to hold off putting New Japan Strong content on, say, New Japan World uh, and, and putting it first run on, on New Japan on Access, for example, uh, versus sort of the, the mainstream or main roster uh, domestic product coming out of Japan. Uh, I, I wonder if that's an option to be played with in, in any way where you've got New Japan Strong is the U.S.-based product, if you don't know. Uh, where they're doing things uh, mostly in, in, in the L.A. area, but they've done at least one taping in Texas, right? Um, it's Seattle, too, they're going to. Okay. Like, yeah, there, a lot of the West Coast, though. Okay. Okay. But there, there's some thoughts, but yeah. All right. Uh, we'll move on. We have uh, preliminary ratings for SmackDown. Um, preliminary la- well, rating last night uh, for, for well Friday night for SmackDown Fox was 2.136 million viewers expect about 2.26 million for the final reported Monday. Yeah. So this is a good rating. I would call it for SmackDown. Uh, it's more along the lines. If, if the prelim correlates well to the final, which it usually does uh, a decent rating for, for SmackDown uh, after some, some weeks here where it was, you know, closer to 2.1. This is in the 2.2, closer to even 2.3 area for a final. We'll see for sure, though, on Monday. Uh, by the way, no, no, no fast national, as far as I know, for, for Rampage, which probably means the Rampage, just just by, uh, you know, sort of correlation here, uh, probably means the Rampage rating is up, which did a, a fairly low rating the week prior, so that would make sense. That you know that was on the lower end of of what it appears to be doing rampage, uh, and it, there's a good chance that it's just up, which which is why we're not hearing about a fast national. So we'll see. All right, uh, we will move on. It sci-fi gets wrestling once again. Yes. Uh, PWAinsider.com uh, learned uh, that for two weeks in February, WWE's Monday Night Raw will be bumped off the USA Network to air instead on Sci-Fi. On Monday, February 7th and Monday, February 14th, the USA Network will be airing live coverage of the Winter Olympic Games, requiring Raw to be bumped off its usual home for the first time in decades. On Monday, February 7th, USA will instead air men's figure skating. On Monday, February 14th, the cable network will broadcast freestyle skiing. NXT will air on Sci-Fi on Tuesdays, February 8th and February 15th, due to the uh, Winter uh, Olympics coverage on the USA Network. So, you know, the dogs are no longer an issue, but here comes the Olympics. Yeah. Who, who, who has the rights to the Westminster Dog Show these days? I I will look that up. I I know it's not as prevalent as it used to be. I I also didn't prepare this. Is that uh, Raw has not been preempted? I believe since two thousand five or two thousand six. I forget what the reason was. Um, this is something that came up months ago. I think when I was thinking about uh, NXT being preempted. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether 
the Olympic Games do comparable ratings to what Raw does. I doubt it will, just because this is not, obviously, this is not going to be the NBC broadcast. This is not going to be the broadcast in front of the the, the largest reach of audience. But uh, I, I would think the Raw audience will be bigger than this, than what this delivers on, on Monday, uh, in Mondays in February, again, the 7th and the 14th. Um, but it's probably doing better, better ad rates, I would imagine, than what Raw does. Uh, otherwise, you know, there's, there's no uh, shortage of networks that uh, NBCU could use, or even they could, you know, throw it on Peacock or whatever. There must be some calculation that NBCU makes to say, well, it's really important that we put this on the USA Network at this time, even above what is by far our strongest program, which is Raw. Uh, last I checked, and there's no reason for me to, to think that this has changed, that Raw does is something like, you know, maybe doubling what the next nearest show on USA does. Yes. I was just going to say, it's so interesting we're having this conversation because we're going to be having this conversation in two months when it comes to TBS and that March Madness play-in game. Because, like, do they they have all these networks this time Warner put it on another network or no, hey, sorry, we got to bump you for one week, uh, Dynamite, and we got to put the playing game on TBS for the NCAA I, tournament. I strongly expect they're going to bump Dynamite because these, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look at look at what, I don't know what the, the, the real calculation is here, but look at NBCU's deciding to bump Raw for the Olympics for whatever it is, the prestige reasons, the ad rate reasons, whatever. Uh, I'm sure they're going to bump dynamite for the more prestigious and perhaps more valuable uh march madness games um yeah those are just well whether or not they equal or better the wrestling programs in terms of viewership or viewership in the demo they're providing value in other ways that are not fully dependent not not fully determined by by the viewership again whether that's the ad values that they can deliver or where cable networks get the majority of their revenue is in affiliate fees to your cable system or satellite system, charging those systems to carry the NBCU family of networks or the Turner family of networks. Uh, they're able to go to them when it's time to renegotiate their affiliate fees and say, hey, we provide X, Y, and Z live sports and March Madness and the Olympics and perhaps giving these properties precedence over wrestling in some ways helps their, their pitch that they're, they're delivering really high profile stuff that you really need to carry and to, to carry on your system. And that justifies uh, a more favorable partnership for us. The networks would be my um, guess real quick. In an interesting note, Fox owns the broadcasting rights to those Westminster dog show. Really? Yes. Wow. And where is that broadcasting? Is that like on FS1 or something? Uh, it looks like from the uh, from what I can gather is, is it, over Fox the two-day thing, that, that most of it was anymore. on FS1, but they did broadcast some on Fox last year. But it was in the summer, so you don't have any original programming. So. Hmm. Amazing. So yeah. Okay. So Fox, you know, maybe 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 they'll eventually go. You know what? 
this dog show should be on Friday nights at eight o'clock. Yeah, I I, I would probably tune in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> moving All on. right. Uh, m- moving on to some WrestleTix data. Yeah. So I just wanted to take a look at um, how because we haven't talked about live events. WrestleTix does such a great job of tracking live events that um, they're tracking it in, in greater detail and and uh, specificity, specificness than than I really can. But we should check in on some of the data that they're they're tracking here. Uh, and I just wanted to I created for people looking at at YouTube. I, I basically put together a scatter plot chart that shows with different colors and different shapes the different event types across WB and AEW, whether that's a Dynamite TV taping, a pay-per-view, a Raw, a SmackDown, a pay-per-view, or I'm sorry, premium live event, or a house show. Um, and it's a general down and to the right decline from July, when the return to touring starts, to the present. Um, and then if we look at the I mean, that's just a sort of visual assessment. But if we look at the actual averages for each of these event types for the respective major companies, uh, we do see Raw averaging 9,000 in July, averaging 8,000 in in August, averaging 7,000 in September, averaging 6,500 in October, averaging 57,000 in November. And at this point, in December, back up to 61,000. Now, granted, a lot of this is influenced by the market that you're in. When you're in a, when you have a selection of the four or five weeks that you're doing raw in bigger markets versus smaller markets, that can have a huge effect. But I think what we can take from this by the fact that at this point in, in January, we've got, and this is for only events that have already happened. This is not including any, any events where WrestleTix has counts for, for events coming up. So this is the only events that are set in stone that have already happened. Uh, but just by the fact that, okay, in November, it was 57. And in December, it was 61. And we can kind of say similar about SmackDown, where you know SmackDown uh, was at about 11,000 in, in July, 8,000 in August, 9,000 in September, and then down to just under 6,000 in October, back up to just under 7,000. So it's sort of, sort of, sort of plateaued is what I'm saying. It, for for Raw and SmackDown, which are their most attractive regular weekly live events, those have apparently plateaued now. Now we kind of know where the norm is for these events. There was a, a pent up demand that WWE benefited from, posted really great numbers for Q3 for those first three months with the return to touring, and now we we're seeing where these live events, where their norm is. Um, and it's, it's somewhere around the 6,000 mark, right? So we are seeing the relaxation of ticket sales for Raw and SmackDown, which is, I, w- I would guess without looking up the numbers and without studying this, and we didn't have WrestleTix at the time in 2019, but it's, but it's probably roughly in the area of where they were pre-pandemic. Um, but what we, we don't see as much of a, of a big peak to start out and then a, decline uh for for dynamite i guess with the exception of september as we know september had the uh, the newark event had the arthur ash event uh 
but we see dynamite in July did 5,200 in August did lower than that 4,400. And then it's sort of in this 5,000 range, maybe 6,000 in December. So the, the dynamite TV tapings have just been more consistent across the months since the return to touring, I would say, with the exception of September. Um, and that, that has resulted in, in, in these dynamite TV tapings being in the end here in January and December being quite comparable, at least to raw in December for SmackDown, December averaged 9,000. Uh, but in other months it's averaged 6,800, 5,900, 6,700. So still higher than what dynamite has done, but, uh, but raw and dynamite are getting quite comparable. Uh, the house shows have really calmed down for WWE going from 7,000 in the beginning in July to 6,000 through the, the late summer. And, and now in January right now, we're averaging under 4,000 for house shows. Uh, this includes house shows around the world, uh, not just North America, but that's sort of where, where those are ending up. They're ending up back. I would say back in the, um, the pre pandemic level. And we're in a, in a point where, some of the WTV tapings are comparable with the AEW TV tapings. Uh, there are a limited number of Rampage only TV tapings. Usually Dynamite and Rampage are taped in the same session, same venue, same night. Um, but I think this speaks to what I think is happening here is that you look at, look at the total viewership. Um, the total viewership for WD programming and AEW programming uh, especially if we're talking about their flagship programming. And if I bring some of this up on, on the screen for uh, people watching on YouTube, the total viewership for Ron SmackDown is way, way, way above what it is for Dynamite, right? And certainly way above, I mean, NXT is still doing bigger total viewership than Rampage on most weeks. Uh, that's driven by older viewers. Do older viewers, you know, do older wrestling fans, wrestling viewers, do they go to live events? anecdotally visually it doesn't look like they do as much um but i think we're seeing w is this product that lots of lots and lots of people consume especially on a global level way way in ex excess by multiples over what AEW is but when it comes to actually taking money out of your pocket and spending we're seeing a much closer comparison when it comes to w and AEW. when it comes to buying a ticket going to an event getting closer on the peak end though you know i i think aw would would have great difficulty doing anything like what SummerSlam did in terms of drawing forty thousand more than you know, forty thousand russell ticks has has it at about forty six thousand people to, to a summer slam in las vegas um, they'll probably draw you know something well over a hundred thousand people over two days for wrestlemania you know aw's not doing that um but on a consistent basis I think you're seeing more of an enthusiasm and more of a willingness to spend. Awareness and consumption are one thing, but a willingness for consumers to spend is a different thing. But as we know, WWE relies not so much you know, to a, a minority of, of their revenue, relies not so much on direct consumer spending, but relies overwhelmingly on its business to business revenues, including its enormous US TV rights fees. Could the argument be made 
that when you attend an AW Dynamite, that you get more bang for your buck than a Raw or SmackDown because AW only runs four pay-per-views a year. So you're going to have more title matches and more marquee matches and main event matches where Raw and SmackDown are really just tag team matches or DQ finishes in the main event to lead up to those premium live events, no longer pay-per-views that they, that, that they run at least once a month. If not some, some are two a month. Do you, I mean, just, you think the consumer goes, well, I know what I'm going to see in Ron's SmackDown. Oh, but there's a TNT title match with Cody versus whatever. Like, you know what I mean? It, it's hard to think, do you get more bang for your buck? Because AEW doesn't exhaust themselves on, murky matches with 12 pay-per-views a year they don't have that i think it has maybe that's part of it i mean you're, you're talking about the fact that aw will announce all of these matches in advance of their their tv tapings and maybe that's part of it um but i think more than anything it's sort of it's sort of what, what, what do these brands represent and that but that's part of what you're saying is what they represent as brands well i mean just look at the titles like you know aw probably goes a one they probably at least have one title on the line once every two or three dynamites and rampages if not every episode where i mean the fact was like i think since nakamura hasn't defended his intercontinental title on tv or pay-per-view in like three months or something crazy like that like it's you know it's just like people want to see interesting things they want to see marquee matches and I don't, you know, I mean, yes, like you go to a WWE premium live event, you know, you're going to get that. But let's just face it. And on Raw and SmackDown, you're probably going to get some tag match where Roman Reigns teams with the Usos and they have a sixth man against whatever babyface Roman's feuding with the time and the Mysterios or whatever. And it's going to end up in a DQ. But you're going to see rematches. You're going to see exciting <laughs> controversy. DQ finishes. You're going to see. Uh, some some really great storylines play out on the video screen. Yeah, it's great entertainment. I don't know what you're complaining about. I'm not complaining. I'm just speaking. If I'm a consumer, and I and res- wrestling fans want to see matches that mean something, I mean, is that's what we're here for, right? You watch television shows because it emotionally means something to you. You watch Dexter every week because you want to see who he actually kills or does he kill or this and that. Well, I'd like to watch a wrestling program to see, oh, will we have a new champion? Oh, what will be the main event? Will, will it have stakes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think WWE's product is, its highest priority is to satisfy one person who is the head of creative. And everything else comes second to that, including revenue generation. But fortunately for WWE, it finds itself in, in a situation where its revenue generation is, is multiplying thanks to the value of the type of content, the very specific type of content that W happens to re- resemble, despite its decades-long effort to separate itself from being live sports and live sports-like. Um, so it's, it's, an, it's an amazing uh, conundrum. All right. Uh, we, will, uh, we will move on uh, to the question that has been pondered, that now that football will be gone for quite a few months on Monday nights, Will Raw have an uptick in ratings? So we're kind of look at previous history of if that's the case or not. Yes. So football is over next week. And as, as we know, I talked about it on Thursday, live TV ratings talk. Dynamite narrowly edged out Raw in 18 to 49, in 18 to 49, not total viewership. Um, and, but we expect viewership to be back up 
as Gullo drinks out of his mug that you can get at store.postwrestling.com. But uh, Raw w- should be back up. So what I've got here, thanks to data collected by Corey Gibson, we've got um, every Raw, well, almost every Raw. There are some data points missing. I did averages here. There's a handful of data, data points missing out of this you know, 22-year time span for Raw that we've got here. This is total viewership, not not the demo, but I imagine it strongly correlates to, to the demo. Um, and we see from Q4, from the months of October, November, December, com- compared to the months of January, February, March, the average viewership in those first three months of the year is sometimes by double digits, higher by percentage than Q4. So Q4 is the last three months of the football season in most cases. And then Q3 is almost entirely, with the exception of maybe some, some, a few weeks in, in January there, is almost, is almost entirely months where it's where Raw is no longer going against football. So the answer is yes. Raw really does bounce back in the beginning of the new year. In the in the you know in the run up through the Rumble and getting closer to WrestleMania, viewership does improve in almost every year. It improved last year by seven percent, Q1 versus Q4. Improved by just three percent in 2020. Um, that was the early part of the pandemic, part of that, but not most of it. Um, improved by fourteen percent in 2019. Uh, there are. There is one year in 2012 where it didn't improve at all. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, in, 20, in 2001, it did go down by two per, by 2%, but that's sort of when they're coming off of the hottest period in the history of wrestling. So, yes, it would be highly unusual if Raw did not improve in viewership in the several weeks to come. Uh, so, Raw, Raw viewership should be up. Yeah, first time on a post since August 30th. That was the last Monday Night Raw without football. Because September 6th, we had the Labor Day college game. And then we've been off to the races. And even in week 18, when there was no NFL game, there was a national championship. So, Right. That that Rams and Cardinals game, not much of a draw. Though. <laughs> only, only 23 million viewers. <laughs> But no, not, seriously. But for for a wild card game, that I, I think that was the least watched wild card game of the weekend. Or I mean, it wasn't weekend. Obviously, it was Monday. But I think it was least card least least watched wild card game. Well, I think you have to like compare it to everything else. All the other networks were free. Like and, it was on ABC. I mean? like, it was on ABC. No, well, no, Monday Night Football was ESPN, and it was broadcast on ABC. Oh, that is true. I forgot about it. Yeah, I forgot it was broadcast about on ABC. I watched, it. I watched ESPN, it on the ESPN app. So. ESPN2, ESPN Deportes. That was broadcast on four networks, one, yeah. of, one of which was broadcast television that I watched with my antenna. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, was, uh, it, it was on the lower end. Why? Who knows? Uh, but here's, here's the thing, though. Raw this past Monday didn't even flinch against this playoff game. Demo was up by like five points, something like that. It was a 0.43 in the demo, whereas the week before, I think it did a 0.39. Total viewership barely moved. Didn't sell for this this Rams-Cardinals game. Anyway. Um, I'm intrigued to see the ratings for next Monday, uh, the day after, well, two days. I'm sorry, two days after the Rumble, because now we have the Saturday Rumble, uh, Royal Rumble, but. You know, next next week Monday. Now this Monday comes the week after. I'm interested to see because that's when Mania season starts and the, yeah. the interest peaks. Yes. 
Um, all right. Uh, moving on, we got some YouTube data for content published in the last seven days. Yeah. So people are not used to looking at this data, but I think this is more meaningful towards what our audience, to what wrestling media readers, what they want out of quarter hours, I don't think gives them this, these, this YouTube data, I think gives you more of what you want. Assuming what you want is to know who's a draw, to know what segments were really drawing interest in, in a given week of programming. Um, and nobody reports WWE quarter hours on rare occasion I have uh, these days. So I had to check this because I didn't believe it when I, when I ran the data here. That So this is looking at every YouTube video that has been uploaded by every wrestling company of, of note. And it's only WWE and AEW that are in the top 20. So I took, as, as, as I've looked at before, this is every YouTube video that's been uploaded, published in the last seven days. And then I give them all 24 hours to collect views. And then we rank them. We've all also got the, the latest count here on the screen as well. The number one video for views after 24 hours is not a WWE video, but an AEW video. Uh, th this video title was Brian, Brian Danielson impressed with John Moxley's return to the ring. This is from Rampage. I didn't watch Rampage this week. Apparently, Brian Danielson interacted with John Moxley uh, on Rampage after his after Moxley's match with Ethan Page. Um, did nearly a million views after 24 hours. It's now just just a, a hair over a million views. Um, so I was I'm very surprised. Uh, you know, this is not something that uh, happens often where where AW's at the top here. Uh, we do have some some views uh, videos for W that are now above what this video is at, including uh, the top ten moments of Raw, including the Lashley versus Seth Rollins highlights from Raw. Um, that's now at two point one million views. Granted, about six days later. Six days after it's publishing, and the the rampage video is only what two days after it's publishing. Um, yeah, we've got here. Here are the top. Let's let's do like the top five uh, YouTube videos again. The that Danielson and Moxley video after twenty four hours. The Seth freaking Rollins and Kevin Owens versus the Usos video on SmackDown. Top ten moments of Raw. Lashley versus Seth freaking Rollins, which is what he will be exclusively referred to. In W Cannon from now on, Seth quote unquote freaking Rollins. Uh, and then it's great to see John Moxley back where he belongs at number five. So that's Moxley's return uh, video where I'm, I imagine they edited out his F bomb and <laughs> he got, uh, yes, one F word and three S words. So, uh, you know, he was, he was serious. Uh, but yeah, mostly as as usual, the top 20 has mostly W videos, but we've got one, two, three, four, five AEW videos. Uh, w, of course, has has way more content, uh, way more uh, volume of videos. Um, so if we look at the the number of views that W collected across all of its videos, according to Social Blade in this week, was 169 million views compared to AEW's just 14. Um, what is 169 divided by 14? Uh, 169 divided by 14.1 is 12 times. So YouTube, W's YouTube channel did 12 times the views wow. of AEW. That's probably typical. 
the, the comparison in new content is closer, but still WWE in that comparison, just in the new content that's been posted in the last seven days, still like quadrupling what, what AEW did. And that's what I don't have here is the number of videos that they publish over this time. So it's, you know, it's in part driven by that, by the number of videos that they've posted uh, in this period. So anyway, I was so worried that we weren't going to have enough to talk about here. And now we're 51 minutes in and we haven't even gotten to the questions. Yeah. And I made sure I had to do WrestleMania's Jeopardy because we might have to fill time here. We'll have to, uh, we'll have to save it for a, uh, an, another day, I guess. Oh, you want to you want to get out of the WrestleMania's Jeopardy, don't you? You don't want to be quick. I want to answer the questions that are the the great supporters of WrestleNomics have. Fair enough. Um, before we uh, get to the questions from the uh, Patreon, we do have a couple super chats. Uh, first off, just from Andrew Barker saying thank you. Well, thank you, thank you, Andrew Barker. Thank you. Uh, and then Tim B, uh, frequent super chatter. Uh, general question: Is there a published channel data for baseline demo age and race? TBS seems to have a higher average female viewership, thus helping AEW. We we have a question along those lines in our in our prepared questions from subscribers. Um, I I don't know. I I did report that graph from it's it's roughly from July to September, showing what the various wrestling programs do across race, um, and. As we discussed a, few, a couple times, uh, W programs have more viewers who are people of color, more viewers who are African Americans, versus AEW, uh, which, which where it's where AEW's racial demographic breakdown reflects more what what television generally does. Uh, so, I don't know about the networks in particular, though. Um, if I encounter data like that, I will surely share it with everyone uh but we do have a, a question along the lines of yeah. what female viewership might be doing for, or how, how female viewership has been changing in the last few weeks which we'll, we'll get to in a, in a few minutes here yeah well, let's kind of let's kind of lead into that here this one was from jason um what do you think will have a greater impact on dynamite's female viewership the absence of the challenge and real housewives of oc or the big bang theory uh, December 1st, AEW did a 0.19 in women, 18 and 49. On the 8th, they did a 0.20 on the 15th, winter is coming. They did a 0.18 on the 22nd. They did a 0.19 on the 29th. When those shows were done, Dynamite did a 0.25. The next week, they did a 0.30 for the TBS debut. And next week, they did a 0.26. This week, a 0.32. Jason comes to the table with some, some thorough research. Uh, so I, I do have a chart ready for this. Gullah making making the great call to, to call audible to jump to Jason's question here. Hmm. Uh, so this is this is for people watching on YouTube. What I've got here is a chart of the female viewership eighteen to forty nine, which is the we don't have F two plus, but we do have eighteen to forty nine uh, across the last three hundred sixty five days, and we see a big jump beginning four weeks ago. Four weeks ago was December, which is the last episode on TNT. Uh, where the viewership uh, for the F eighteen to forty nine was uh, was a lot higher than usual, and and maybe that has to do with the the lack of competition, as Jason points out, from other programs, including including uh, Real Housewives of the OC and the Challenge. Um, where so that that data point 
uh, for the last episode in December, which if you look at that, what is that in terms of actual viewers in the F18 to 49 demo? That was, if we look at the AEW Dynamite for, it was a December 29th, the last episode on TNT. That's 163,000 viewers. Compare that to the week prior where it did 124. The week before it did 116, uh, 131. So it, female viewership was down substantially. Um, there may be some who say, well, maybe it's the violent content. Maybe, maybe WWE would say that. Uh, but uh, we, we haven't talked about that either. The uh, While we were talking about the MLW and WWE lawsuit uh, last week, you know, WWE's comments in the, in the Toronto Star about the gory self-mutilation. I almost got demonetized last week because I mentioned uh, I mentioned the, these violent terms uh, at the beginning of our program last week. Um, just to show you how much advertisers don't, don't like violence, uh, even even YouTube and WrestleOnics being affected. Um but no, I think it. I think it, it. It more has to do with the. Um, maybe that's a factor. Maybe maybe the content, the violent content, is a factor. I don't know. But I think what's a bigger factor is the competition, um, and what's a factor is is the Big Bang Theory providing some female viewership uh, to the beginning of Dynamite. Whether or not those viewers are sticking around, uh, we can look at. We could look at at the. Uh, let's take a look at what the quarter hours are for. Let's say most recent episode of dynamite by the way your recent tweet of sheldon cooper acknowledge him acknowledge him. Like, I, <laughs> I, I i laughed at that acknowledge him i don't i don't know if anybody else in wrestling media is, is talking about the big, big big bang theory when it comes to dynamite ratings but they should be um what's happening with with dynamite viewership being up has more to do with sheldon than anything else i i'm serious <laughs> it has more to do with the big bang theory than anything else um, maybe I'll get some more data soon about those fir- first few minutes of dynamite on TBS. I, I know in the first week on January 5th, 1.72 million viewers. What does dynamite, what did dynamite do in general this past, uh, Wednesday, about a million, about a million flat, just over a million flat, 1.72 million. An episode of Dynamite has never averaged 1.7. The, the highest, the most viewed episode in Dynamite history is the debut, October 2019, October 2nd, 2019, which did 1.4 million viewers across the entire 120 minutes. First it's minute. mind-blowing. This First is a minute. program that for reruns. Right. That hasn't ran new shows in years. Right. And, and what we're seeing there is it's not that Big Bang Theory is doing 1.7 million viewers. Probably not probably doing considerably less than that but what you're seeing is the sort of is is like imagine you're you're uh you're getting on the subway right and you've you've got people getting off the train you've got people getting on the train and there's a ton of people converging at that moment that's what we're seeing in in those first few minutes of dynamite i think is you've got a ton of people who are left over from the big bang maybe some of them stick around but you've got a lot of new people showing up to watch dynamite and that's where the volume gets really high for like a minute maybe two minutes. Uh, but yeah, the, that, that first minute, I know I'm trailing way off here, but that first minute, uh, of dynamite on TBS, 1.72 million viewers, the most probably, I mean, maybe, maybe subsequent weeks have been higher. I, I don't know, but 1.72 million viewers would be the most viewed minute in dynamite history with the possible exception of, I think that 
that one week where Dynamite was pushed back to 10 because of an NBA game where they might have picked up a, a really large audience at the very beginning of Dynamite that week. But uh, anyway, are female viewers sticking around? Uh, female viewers this, this week on January 19th, uh, they start out at 260, I'm sorry, 236. They stick around for the, for the second segment, uh, basically flat, 237. But then they do mostly tune out over that time. Not tremendously, but it's uh, a little bit lower as the show goes on. And that's the normal pattern, though. That's not like it's that different over the last four weeks. And half of those four weeks are TNT weeks. But this is generally what we've seen in, in the quarter hours, is that the male viewership maybe grows, especially if we're talking about the TNT era. But the female viewership slightly tunes out over the time. Normally is what happens. Uh, so some some female viewers uh, are, I don't know, are tuning in. Um, more female viewers are definitely tuning in. Uh, but in it's not like they're tuning out at a stronger rate, much stronger rate anyway, than what, how they were tuning out on TNT. I think the bigger factor is the external programming, is the competition programming. Um, but Big Bang Theory is a help to the viewership across demographics, especially older demographics, I think. Uh, but I'm not sure. I don't know. I mean, they, they, those, those TBS, um, Big Bang Theory reruns do really well in the demo too, but they are older than the Dynamite audience. Say the median viewer is older than the Dynamite audience. All right. Uh, we'll move on to our next question. This one from Rod. Uh, during WCW's 83-week winning run with the Nitro rating, was that based on the demo or viewership? We know, so we don't have, I don't have anyway, I've never seen a consistent data set for the demo for the Monday Night Wars. All that I have and all that I've seen is total viewership. Like Corey Gibson has collected uh, data for Raw and maybe other programs in the Monday Night War era that might have some data points for 18 and 49, but we don't have anything approaching a complete set for that Monday Night War era. But did did WCW beat Raw? Did, did Nitro beat Raw in the demo over that time? I would imagine it's pretty similar because I know if, if people will yell about people will yell about, well, why are you talking about the demo instead of viewership? Probably in the in the late 90s, the demo did not differ from viewership to such an extent as it does today because what we have today in 2022 and in recent years as well is we have the demo behaving considerably differently from viewership certainly when it comes to wrestling programming um but in the 90s we didn't have you know in the 90s linear television was not this disproportionately old form of media because there wasn't streaming um, so I'd imagine that the demo strongly, much, much more strongly correlated to total viewership would, would be my hypothesis. Um, and that it probably over 83 weeks or a very similar number of weeks, the demo uh, that Nitro was out of raw in the demo would be my expectation if I had the data. Also too, like my, I, I would imagine the fifth P 50 plus audience in the nineties was m very small. I mean, these were people that would have most likely became wrestling fans during the 60s in the regional television era in the 70s. Like, so I I couldn't imagine the 50 plus being as large a percentage audience that it is now back in the 90s. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, we know. I mean, the the reputation is that wrestling was this huge hit with younger people, um, especially especially the Attitude Era, right, with teenagers and whatnot. All right, uh, moving on to Patricia. Uh, with AEW moving towards their TV negotiations and looking to promote themselves to more advertisers, do you think their offers to networks, etc., should be centered on their homemade stars, their big name acquisitions, or a mix of both? And what do you think would be their points of emphasis that would differ them from WWE? I think the the notion that AEW is relying not just on former WWE stars and the and, and making an argument that AEW has made its own stars too is a point that matters to wrestling fans and wrestling pundits much more than it matters to television executives. Um, that's now saying that I think that's something that might, that that point is something you, you might still include in a pitch to, to network executives to say, Hey, we have all these really great stars who are really, you know, strong attractions, but we've also made our own stars. So we've got some stars who uh, are known already before our program debuted, but we've also from scratch created some, some really exciting stars as well. Um, I think maybe you include that as part of the argument to talk about how strong your brand is and how, how effective your television is um, and how effective it's going to be going forward. Right. But I think television executives, they want content and personalities who will draw an audience. Um, if you can make an argument that, Hey, look, we're content creators that create stars as, as well as showcase them. That's important too. Um, but I, but I think that's the thing that matters much more to wrestling fans who comment on Twitter and, and, and people who have podcasts. And, Oh, there's a second question here that I'm not addressed. Right? So what, what points of, of, of emphasis? I mean, for one thing, the age of the audience is the biggest one, right? We're, we're use, if you're AEW, you say we deliver an audience that is, that is younger, that is at this moment, very comparable in 1849 in the most popular ad demo, very comparable to what raw does on cable. Uh, and, uh, look at the trajectory of our viewership and the trajectory of the popularity of our programming in relation to, to WB. WB's popularity has been on the, the decline for the last five years, even though yes, it is this tremendously strong brand has this amazing legacy over the decades, but it's new content. It's new content has declined in popularity over the last five years. The margin between raw and dynamite and SmackDown and dynamite has diminished over time. And, you know, look at that trajectory. If uh, you extrapolate that out into the future, there's a pretty good chance that Dynamite is going to surpass, if you're making the argument for, for AEW, that Dynamite is going to surpass Raw, maybe surpass SmackDown in the demo over time. Uh, yeah, Because we create content that's, you know, that's uh, connecting with people emotionally and connecting with younger fans uh, more so than WWE's product is. I'm going to do blood and gore and violence. No, 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 don't, don't say that. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, ben asks, who would win in a shoot fight in the parking lot between Mookie and Jerry McDivitt? Mm. Very, very compelling question here. Um, Jerry is pretty tall, right? Yeah, I think so. Man. I think he's tall. Not sure, but I think Jerry's tall. Uh, Mookie's more, 
average height of an adult male. Um, but Jerry's pretty old. Jerry's like in his seventies, I think. Uh, Mookie's just a little bit older than us. So I would have to give the advantage. I mean, if it's a parking lot brawl, is is this like a, 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 uh, an AW dynamite style parking lot brawl where, you know, you're involving a lot of, uh, cars and, and whatnot um that those might be uh, x factors there but uh, uh you know do we have uh run-ins and uh, people uh accompanying uh, the, either of these folks uh but if, it, if it's a, if it's a match with a clean finish here uh i don't know i would have to give the advantage to mookie mainly because of age I mean, jerry uh is talking about wanting to retire soon so maybe he's he's slowing down but that stare you know, that Jerry McDivitt stare, mm-hmm. that might be intimidation factor. It might throw Mookie's game off. <laughs> yeah, mind games. Mind games. <laughs> All right. Uh, m- moving on here to Casey. Uh, Casey asks, situations like the current one between WWE and Mustafa Ali make me wonder about how much our understanding of normal operating procedures inside the wrestling business is in fact a flawed understanding of how the real world works. We might think because WWE always gets his way and these wrestlers are stuck in these situations, but if indeed a contractor is pressured by an employee player to perform a racially demeaning stereotype or if they're publicly associated with a Nazi in a way that could damage their career reputation. Could those contractors not take legal action against the employer for discrimination or use their public embarrassment to make arguments that might help them to secure their release? So good questions. Um, (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I will say this. We don't know what the gimmick was. We have no reports of the gimmick that Vince pitched Mustafa Ali. Yeah. I mean, we could all assume, but we don't know. I have not seen reports of what it actually was. Vince's reputation does not undermine such assumptions. Um, not a lawyer. Gull is not a lawyer either. Although yeah. I've, 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 uh, I've urged him to, to work on his law degree. Um, maybe, maybe there's a legal argument to be made here as as always, when it comes to the, you know, the issues with the, with the independent contractor, um, likely misclassification is that to, to overcome or to make it, make a legal argument that you're being misclassified, uh, to make any sort of, uh, talent versus company legal argument. Um, you're going to be going against a company that has massively greater legal resources. There's going to be the deterrent that. Well, I'm going to burn my bridge forever with the most powerful wrestling company in the world uh, that I stand to make money with, even if I leave them right now. You know, even if even if Mustafa Ali gets his release tomorrow, um, there's a, a good chance that he, in one way or another, might make money with WWE at, at some point in the future, whether it's coming back as a wrestler, you know, sort of during his, his athletic prime at some point in the future, or whether it's, you know, making occasional appearances or having something like a legends contract. You know, we see wrestlers who, you know, f- who are continuing to do business at, even at a limited level for a long, long, long time to come after, you know, sort of what we think of as their prime. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it 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 would have to be a situation where somebody is really strong-willed and wants to and is very much willing to burn the bridge forever with WWE to take this legal action against them. A and 
uh, has has re- really strong access to legal resources uh, where somebody's going to take them on pro bono or, or take them on at a with a contingent contingency um, because W has massive legal resources and they're going to bleed you of money uh, and it's going to be you know I think most people who may have even had the beginnings of the thought about whether they want to fight W like this uh, come to the realization that financially it might not be worth it um, because, you know, there, there are so many deterrents uh, against it. Yes. Do you have something? A lot of, no, a lot of people are calling for him to just write on Twitter what the gimmick was, what the idea that was pitched um, but I would imagine from what you're saying, there might be some legal entanglements or that that's why he's avoiding that conversation. Oh, I don't know. I, I, he would be, he would have legal liability if he said, told the story about what Vince wanted him to do. Maybe not. Yeah. I mean, because people are saying, just do it. If you say it, they, they're like, okay, let's give this guy his release before it spirals even further. Maybe. Um, I think there's, Maybe what Casey is partly getting at here is is um, or maybe what you're getting at, Golo, is there's probably something Mustafa Ali could do to put more public relations pressure on them to release him. I suppose, um, yeah. whether or not he wants to involve himself in that drama is another question. Uh, yeah, I suppose he could could you know not just find a wrestling media outlet, but a more mainstream outlet that would be interested in telling that story. If, if it is as scandalous as we could imagine it might be, if that they wanted him to do some sort of demeaning racial stereotype, you know, I'm, I, there's probably many mainstream outlets that would be interested in running that story. If that's what, what the story is, which we don't know. All right. Um, moving on to Chad. Chad asked, you may have addressed this, but would it be interesting to understand what the total viewership with live plus seven and whether the gap or demo differences are different between AEW and WWE when factoring in the whole audience? So what that what is the true gap with, of course, the, you know, the DVR and replays plus seven? Yes. So I have January to November 2021 data on this and let's see this is the percentage of the viewers and what is this this is the demo so this is the demo for well look at this is the demo for the the last okay we do have dates here okay so let's say do i want to even maybe can i do this okay well anyway let's let's look at the demo for raw and dynamite in in november and october right and what we see is live plus same day lead for Raw in October and November was anywhere from just 6% to as much as 78%. But when we that's live plus same day, not factoring in any delayed, also known as DVR viewing. And uh, the gap between Raw and Dynamite in most weeks, let's see, is a little bit bigger for raw with the dvr a little bit smaller for raw with the dvr i'm looking at the last seven weeks of i guess what is the very end of september to to november so a sample right uh a little bit bigger for raw a little bit smaller for raw a little bit smaller for raw way smaller for raw about the same for raw uh smaller for raw smaller for raw 
Um, I could take some more time and give you a more definitive answer, but with those seven samples, and we don't have any, any of the most recent data on this, but the, we have most of the 2021 data here. Um, it doesn't look like it changes the story dramatically. Uh, in some cases, as, as I just referenced, right. Um, the margin is more favorable for dynamite. In some cases, the margin is more favorable for raw. Uh, but what we don't see is some sort of consistent trend where the margin gets better for dynamite because people are watching, or the margin gets better for raw because people are watching more so on, on DVR. I, I, I think there's two, two things that have been really standing out to me along these lines in that if we look at the, the, the sort of this table here too, in that people watch AW disproportionately on DVR as opposed to the flagship or, or even NXT W programs. Um, this, does that hold up to, to what I'm looking at here where, you know, in October it's 22% for dynamite, 16% in November versus like 14% for raw, 13% for raw, 11%, 10% for SmackDown. That, that makes me think, and this is, this is me applying a narrative to data. This is my interpretation that why is DVR viewership for the AW programs larger by proportion? by portion, by percentage, than it is for Raw and SmackDown. I think it's because people, if they miss AEW, they feel like more, they feel more of an urgency to catch up with it, to catch up later. So they don't miss it. With the, with WWE, among viewers generally, there's not as much of that, that urge, that feeling. Um, and I think we see, see similar. That's, I think that's along the lines of why the viewership is younger for Dynamite. Because most because I think there's a greater urgency to watch AW programming than there is to watch WB programming. And what, what the differences are in viewership from week to week for any of these programs, when, when, when any of these programs does a big rating relative to what it's been doing usually, the big increases are in the younger viewers. The older viewers are much more predictable. There's a big rating. They don't jump by as big of a percentage. So, I think it has to do with urgency. And again, this is my narrative, my interpretation of the data, but that there's more of an urgency to consume the AW product, even while AW has like smaller total viewership, there's more of an urgency. And we see that again. So we see that in, in the, the youth, the, the more youthful viewership, we see that in the DVR activity. And, and as we mentioned earlier, I think we see that in ticket sales. There's more of an urgency to consume this and pay for it. Would you, to touch on that, then would you say that the lack of urgency to watch WWE and to do it, you know, and at a later time would be why YouTube, maybe a small factor, but why WWE YouTube does so well? Because oh, I'll, I'll, they'll put up the recap tomorrow, or oh, I'll, I'll watch all the segments tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, I know a lot of people that consume WWE that way. I consume WWE that way. You're not yeah. sitting through a three-hour Raw or two-hour SmackDown. You're just watching the highlights. Do you think that, like, hey, I can watch it tomorrow affects why WWE does so well on YouTube? Yeah, I think I think that's why YouTube – I think that's why well, – what, what I'm saying – I guess what I want to say is, like, if, if WB was sort of this ideal of what we would like it to be, let's say, where they're doing great effective storylines and then they're – their their TV viewership is improving. I don't think that their YouTube viewership would be lower. I think it would be higher. But I mm-hmm. think, but I think people are more apt. 
the people who are left are more apt to consume it through YouTube because there's less urgency to consume it immediately through linear TV. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. Um, all right, uh, moving on to our uh, last question here. This one's from Dan. Uh, I am interested in the conversation around the power of the lead-in for Dynamite now versus before. Is the number going to be artificially high because of the strong lead-in and people leaving their TVs on for that channel? I think it will be an interesting long-term study to see the drop-off from the first segment to the last compared to how it was before. Also related to this, funny to think of people that were watching Innocent Lead-In Show left the channel on and for five minutes and the first thing they heard on the next show was the F word. Yeah. Go F yourself. Get that guy out of here. Uh, yes. No, that, that, that's a good point from Dan that um, over time, now we've only got three data points here, but over time, is the Q1 to Q2 drop off going to be a lot stronger? I imagine that'd be my hypothesis, right? That it's going to be stronger because you've got a much stronger lead in and, um, and people are going to maybe, maybe, maybe that helps dynamite attract some new fans i don't know but uh you're gonna have some people who, who are not gonna stick around who are there to watch big bang theory and that's over with um but again if we if we just look at this this last this most recent week where it started off q1 averaged 1.2 million viewers and then q2 averaged 1.1 million viewers the the demo uh the the, the decline in the demo is not as pronounced by percentage though right because if we look at it went down 7% from Q1 to Q2 and total viewership only went down 2%. And the non-demo went down 13%. So, yeah, if we look at let's let's look at what the previous week did as well. Uh these are these are quarter hour reports, of course, that you can get access to at patreon.com slash Um these come out every week. Uh and so what was it? The second week on TBS, total viewership is down 6%. The demo is also down 6%. But if we totally exclude the demo from the total viewership and say non-demo, down 7%. So very similar Q1 to Q2 decline there. So similar. Uh, if we look at the, the, the debut on TBS, which is when I'm saying minute one does 1.72 million viewers. Minute one of the others could have done something similar too. I just don't know whether, you know, to whether they did or not um you know there is a substantial drop off in total viewership from from one to two from q1 to q2 and somewhat in the demo as well so what is that in terms of percent nine percent in total viewership five percent in the demo uh that that non-demo portion of the total viewership down 14 percent. so we're seeing you know this sort of this older audience this disproportionately older well this this big bang theory audience which is older than the dynamite audience tuning out more um which makes sense what was the lead-in for on on uh, TNT movies? Movies, yeah. Now they have like original programming called Fast Foodies. I'm pretty sure that's an original show that they do on Wednesday um, night. Yeah, it will airs from seven to seven thirty, and then seven thirty is when they do the NHL programming. Hmm. NHL programming but, doing like half of what Dynamite did, by the way, in the same time slot. So anyway, yeah. Well, so Fast Foodies, it's a reality show that was originally on True TV, and it looks like they air it now on TBS as well, or TNT, I'm sorry, as well. So okay. not a true TNT original program. Okay. All right. There's the last so question. I, We've got all of them. Yep. Well, 
Yeah, we got we got all our questions here. Um and uh we didn't get any new super chat ones, but thank you to everybody who participated. These are very good questions between yes. the super chat and the Patreon. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah. I, I was so worried that we weren't gonna have enough to talk about, but no, it, it this is this this went very well. I appreciate everybody's questions for sure. So I think Gull is trying to get out of WrestleMonics Jeopardy. Uh, let me know. Let me know. Maybe let him know if he should stand up to the challenge of WrestleMonics Jeopardy next week. But I do have something to tease. You know, you got so the the big the big uh, the big move, perhaps overrated move in in media these days is what some people call gaming. And when they say gaming, they're not talking about video games. They're talking about FanDuel. And um, DraftKings, all we're gonna, over. We're not going to get blitz. Yes, we're not going to get into gambling, at least not yet. But maybe, would you, you, dear listener, be interested in some sort of competition where we tried to predict the wrestling TV ratings? Let me know more on that to come. Uh, that, that that that's something that's in the works. Um, but yeah, I think that I think that's all, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's all we have. Uh, well, hopefully we don't we don't 100% know sure when we'll be live next week because we don't know what the time of the ASU championship will be if the Bills are in it. So, Well, you do know what the time is, right? Uh, I don't believe so because it it depends on what network carries what other ones. So, like, okay. you, you might be going to a, an AFC championship game though next week. Yes. If the Bills win today, you are. Bills win today, 100% am. Now that could be a 1 o'clock game or 4 o'clock game, I think. Or they may do 3 and 6.30 again like they're doing today. I always thought the, sure. the, the conference championship games were a little bit later in the day. Yeah, so it's probably 3 and 6.30. So, so. Anyway, uh, hit the thumbs up button on the on the YouTube video if you're, if you're watching on YouTube. That's uh, that's that's very uh, uh, valuable and appreciated by us. Uh, we're we're not we're we're not uh, as popular as WB on YouTube, but um, you know we're trying. So, but it really helps people discover WrestleNomics. If you feel like people should watch and listen to WrestleNomics more, so that uh, goes a long way. And if if you share it and hit subscribe, if you haven't already on the YouTube channel, that's really helpful. Uh, we have the merchandise there at store.postwrestling.com, the mugs and the T-shirts. Every Thursday, live TV ratings talk on the WrestleNomics YouTube. If you want the audio-only version, that's on the WrestleNomics Patreon. You can go to the post-wrestling Discord and converse in the WrestleNomics channel. We thank, as always, post-wrestling for distributing WrestleNomics and being so helpful in so many ways. Um, if you're not already a subscriber to the WrestleNomics Patreon, you should be at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. Uh, just about every day now, TV ratings reports are coming out. For the U.S. telecasts, Raw, SmackDown, Dynamite, Rampage, New Japan, Impact, and others. Um, I had some questions. You know, pe- people were asking me after uh, the New Japan number came out. Um, what the, that, that was on Showbiz Daily. Did I miss it? No, it wasn't on Showbiz Daily. Because Showbiz Daily is an awesome resource. Posts the top 150 cable originals every day. Um, I, I use a lot of Showbiz Daily data in my reports. But... The WrestleNomics Patreon has data that you will not find anywhere else, which is being originally reported by WrestleNomics. Uh, and we're, we're using, if, if it's not clear, we're using viewer counts across 10 demos, many of which are not reported by uh, by Showbuzz in the demo ratings, which are which are 
a little bit less precise, a little less granular. Um, so this is exclusive data that you're getting that's not reported anywhere else. It's the only way to get it is by subscribing to Russellnomics on Patreon. Uh, we also have quarter hours every week for Dynamite and Rampage. You also, if you're a patron, get access to the Russellnomics viewership spreadsheet, continuously updated by me. It's what I use to track the ratings. Uh, you get access to the audio of the live TV ratings talk and occasional other reporting. Like uh, in the past, it's been the DVR report, the the MLW lawsuit uh, summary that I wrote uh, last week. So, yes. What do you have, Gola? Uh, so um, rediscovering indies, hoping to have a new episode this week. Uh, my co-host is a very busy man. He'll yeah. the rumors he'll be in the Hammerstein tonight. So uh, yeah, um, we, we know busy the, man. the Kevin Dunn of the indies. Yeah. So uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we have an episode this week. We're, we're hoping on it. If not, it, you know, we. We'll get it out very early February, and we'll probably have the February episode come out earlier in the month too to you know appease our loyal fan base. But uh, check out all. There's so much good archive stuff on Rediscovering Indies. There's the XPW deep dive, the NWA deep dives from you know the end of WCW to the beginning of TNA, and also the end of TNA to the Billy Corrigan purchase. Uh, we also ring about our CCW war. Uh, the infamous Dale Gagner episode, which I got a Christmas Eve email from illustrious Johnny Stewart and much more. So, Yes, that's rediscovering the Indies. Um, but yeah, Jonathan Ash, your co-host, is, yes. um, I think, working the Hammerstein GCW pay-per-view on traditional yes. pay-per-view. Traditional pay-per-view, yes. That's I believe Shirts Fight. Paper and it will also be available on Fight as yeah. well. Yeah, but yes, traditional pay per view. I know MLJ yes. has been super psyched and super nervous that he's going to be ring announcing in the Hammerstein on pay per view. But I know he's going to kill it tonight. A colleague of mine, I, I love Emil, so mm. I'm I'm happy for him to have this opportunity tonight. Yes, but we've I've obviously you you do a podcast with with Ash. We've we've all worked with Ash yep. for a number of years on the Indies, so that's that's amazing and fascinating to see. You know, you can work really hard as an indie wrestler, but there's there's people. Uh, outside of the ring, including ring announcers in the ring, but people who are not wrestlers who work really hard in the indies and try to go everywhere and, uh, you know, become really valued people uh, to, to wrestling in general. So that's, that's really cool to see. So that's all for this week. Uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in, for listening. Uh, we will talk to you. I'll talk to you on Thursday for live TV ratings talk, and we'll see everybody right here at the same time next week for WrestleNomics Radio. Thanks again. Talk to you next time. Bye.